stories and tell you this. Love sick like a dog, canine sensitivity. Developing this new theory of relativity. Connecting a soul's rest in the captivity. Positive life sacrifice what it is to be our history. Only a quarter of a century reality. Sitting on the shoulders of a chemistry. See, ain't no mystery. The colors that we mix will set the mind free. Let the blind see beyond harmony. Breathe life in the dead space. Blow away your clouds of doubt. New territory we determine to be. The safe haven is supposed to be Now it might seem distant but the time is near When the thoughts take off split the atmosphere Pure sound waves travel semi-infinitely Plus I see you there up most definitely Cause the beat plus the melody makes me speak of L-O-B-E Eloquently so evidently Oh yeah, check it out y'all, we're back. How many of y'all know that song? If you're listening to this episode because of my special guest today, most likely you know that joint. Lovesick, came out in 2000, 2001, Hideout Recordings, Shingo 2 on the house list today. Yes, I caught up with him out in Jackson Heights, Queens for this conversation. He was passing through town on a U.S. tour with his band, play Rough Trade, sold out show. I brought Kirby Dominant out with me. Shingo, I've known of his music since before this record came out. Now, a lot of folks that know him now, I'd say a lot of the kids that was at the show that we went to, only know him for what would become this lovesick hexology. Six joints, amazing songs, in collaboration with the late, great Nujabes. Now, there's a lot I want to kind of frame this conversation with because it goes back to the Bay, to the Bay Area, to the seminal days of the late mid to late 90s, early 2000s Bay Area underground hip-hop scene. I also want to say, before I jump into this, I meant to open the show with this. Rest in peace to Craig Mack, who passed away the day before we did this conversation. And while he, he passed some years ago, the beloved producer, arranger, label owner, record store owner, Nuja Best, who was an often uh, a collaborator with, with Shingo too, amongst many other rappers, one in particular who we mentioned in the conversation, which I've been a big fan of since the mid-90s, Funky DL. So back to Shingo. So the Bay Area is really where I know his music. From when I was living in California, living on the West Coast, there was a joint, I think the first thing I heard from him was a joint he did with Merce called Blank Paper. And then the trilogy of compilations on the Mary Joy recordings imprint Japanese Tokyo based label that would do some amazing underground hip hop comps tags of the times they also did a great one with DJ Spinner and Beyond Real as well side note but through Kirby Dominant and you know I had a great conversation with with a guy 
who I respect a lot in Oakland, Boss One, kind of an OG of that scene, who has some connection to both Shingo and Kirby to get some added context. You know, the way I do these conversations too, I, I, I strive to try to give you more than just what's on the surface of a conversation that I record. There's a story behind every story and, and it goes deep no matter what. Um, I think, you know, if you've been a hip hop fan or a music fan in general long enough and uh, like me, uh, especially if you worked in like a little in the industry or you wrote for magazines or anything like that, you know, we, we can tire of the usual interview, the kind of cookie cutter, black and white interview, canned answers, same stories over and over. So I always try to see what else is there. What else can we get to in, inside of that, too? I think Shingo is an interesting individual, too, because he played a very kind of critical role in that Bay Area underground scene, from what I gather and from my perspective, too. Because not only did he record and kind of get his start in the midst of all that, that scene, the uprising of that scene, is he also is an incredible visual artist and a designer and engineer by by his schooling at Cal Berkeley. But he would do some pretty incredible layouts and design work for different people of that time. The Grouch, Kirby Dominant, who I've mentioned many times. I think he laid out and designed the Mystic Journeyman's newsletter, Unsigned Hella Broke. Dell, uh, Deltron... And he'd even go on to create this piece of DJ equipment that is pretty damn remarkable. And we, we, we talk about it in the conversation. He shows it to me. With Vestax, it's kind of, how do you describe it? It's like a mixing console that's also a DJ mixer that's essentially a prototype that he uses on stage called the uh, fader board is super super dope on top of um you know what i think now a lot of people associate him with is his music with nujibes and his many collaborations both in japan as well as here in the states and so anyway they were on tour he came in from hawaii which is where he lives now and we get into it. I try to I try to grasp a little bit more and kind of connect the pieces because of my base knowledge is from that that period of time. And while I got this that lovesick, the very first one, you know, I I I never thought back then that it would turn into this very impactful series of songs that would take on a life of their own after Nujabes passed away there's six of them and the thing is we kind of were label mates in a way hideout recordings and female fun my my defunct label were at one time distributed by the same distributor in in, in japan and basically releasing records in tandem you know um i did some comp i did a compilation jay rawls raw produce spencer doran eventually I, I worked with like a string of other record labels as well but during that period of time, very early 2000s, we were releasing stuff at the same time. It was pretty pretty interesting now, looking back at that period of time. And I'd love to go back. It's been several years since I went back. I went with Dame Funk last time I was there. 
incredible place, beautiful country. I've, I've had the opportunity to travel to several places, but there's many, many, many more that I'd like to go back to. In fact, almost kind of like, kind of hilariously, after our conversation and my revisiting a lot of that music uh, that Shingo and, and Nujibes was doing, which then kind of like, you know, you go on that trail, that rabbit hole, if you will. Then I started going back to my anime. Last night, I read, I watched, I read, I watched Tokyo Godfathers for the first time, which I've been meaning to watch that movie for a long time. And uh, the night before that, I watched um, Children Who Chase Lost Voices. Incredible. And yeah, so I mean, I kind of, we kind of talked about it a little bit in the conversation. I would have loved to have gotten even deeper into that side because I'm very much a fan and fascinated. It speaks to me very deeply in a very profound way, some of that cinema. Obviously, I mean, the mega blockbuster, your name. So <laughs> anyway, I don't want to go too far on a tangent with that stuff, but I love it. If you if there's some more obscure titles that you would recommend me, drop it in the comments. Listen, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, this is The House List. My name is Peter Agostin. I'm the host and producer of the show. Every episode is edited and engineered by my man. 50 grand cj stewart subscribe you can catch us on soundcloud apple Podcasts, stitcher google play i know there's some third-party sites uh someone hit me up very recently saying they listen to it on podomatic i think which is participates in my rss feed so however you might get it even on youtube my man ben helps me upload those onto youtube audio only it's something I do for y'all and trust me when you reach out and write and I get messages I've been getting some messages on the Instagram in my regular email on Facebook it doesn't matter it means a lot to me that you take the time to engage with the stories and listen go back especially if this is your very first time listening if you uh maybe even from that Bay Area scene if you know Shingo you know I've done episodes with a lot of great great artists of that era from that region Tajay classic episode Dell the funky homo sapien really great conversation Billy Jam one of the earlier ones pivotal guy Kirby Dominant of course I'm not going to stop mentioning him that's my dude that's like my good friend themselves a bunch of Z-Man a bunch of stuff but for fans of Shingo 2 the one and only extremely talented dude hopefully you guys are in for a treat with this conversation so let's jump into this my talk with the one and only shingo two here on the house list my frame of reference for your material your recorded material you know starts you know in the bay area like 1998 99 mm-hmm. 2000 but then like there's a whole you know the later chapters of your career it's like i started like digging into all these appearances because you have like a pretty vast like catalog of appearances with both with seemingly with both japanese and american artists but later yeah i guess yeah yeah which i'm trying i just would like to i'm trying to understand the whole lineage too so because i i think i i my first time obviously like hearing you which may or may not be the first bay area song is car troubles 
Oh, Wade Grouch? Yeah. Yes, and the Kirby Dominant. Okay. And uh, I talked to Kirby. Kirby was on the podcast like over a year ago. Oh, cool. And that's my man. I know you guys are old mm-hmm. friends of that mm-hmm. era. Yeah, yeah. And he had a hilarious story of his recording that he got too stoned or something before mm-hmm. he did his verse. But I listened to this on the way here, mm-hmm. and it actually, like, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, you know, amazing kind of time capsule for that kind of, that era of hip-hop yeah. in the bay yeah it's kind of like the the early golden age of that bay area underground yeah. you know more yeah. or less yeah so where in the context i think this might be an interesting starting point yeah yeah but where is that where does that land like for you as far as you'd already been living there for several years mm-hmm. right like what do you remember that period of time oh, of course like it was yesterday yeah so what happened was you know i grew up you know in Tanzania and London because my dad moved the family around. Okay. And my first memories start in Tanzania, Dar es Salaam. So what's, I mean, obviously not a lot of people, what is that like? What, what, I mean, what is that? What's that like, those memories? Of course. Um, well, my dad was a corporate guy, so uh-huh. we, we had a house. And for security, there was a fence, and his uh, boss was in the next door a lot. Uh-huh. But... I think looking back now, it was de- definitely formative because, you know, right across the street, you had people literally living in huts and you saw poverty, you know, really, it was right in your face. Right. And we had children running around with uh, kind of like bloated stomachs because they were either malnutritioned or they hadn't eaten well. Wow. And just through our uh, community of definitely privileged, you know, corporate families, you know, we had interfaces with people who were, quote, helpers, mm-hmm. you know. Don't get me wrong, they weren't servants or nothing. You know, there were people that helped around the house and then security guards, mm-hmm. you know, just, just just kind of interaction we had with them, you know, we could tell how rough it was. And this is back in the 70s, so yeah. probably not as developed. So, yeah, I would certainly think so. Right, right, right. But it was it was wild. It was It was wild. Culturally, what was like? What was it like with people that were working there? Was it? I mean, uh, was it diverse at all? As far as like your, the coworkers that your dad was working with. I really don't know firsthand because I was so young. But there were a bunch of other Japanese people came that came from other corporations, and they had a little community. Mm. So we have house parties back then, and. I remember vividly one time I even saw a UFO at one of these, you know, parties. That's a whole other story. But it the was childhood UFO experience. Yeah, yeah, no, but that was for real, man. I can yeah. tell you much later. Yes, but, please. But yeah. a lot of things happened. It was really, really wild. We went to safari trips. You, you know, you name it. It was, it was really, really um, crazy. So, so that's my earliest memories. And then we moved to London and Japan. And when I was 14, 15, that's when we moved to the Bay Area. Uh-huh. And that whole time, pretty much, I was, like, really, really into art. I used to draw for people. Really? And, and, and that's kind of how I communicated with people, really. And, um, and yeah, so when I got to the Bay, and then during high school, it was kind of like a big adjustment period for me, just relearning English. Even though I thought I was pretty much fluent, I didn't recognize that my vocab had stopped at a nine-year-old level and then I was thrown in high school right you know what I mean so just not only relearning English but kind of absorbing the west coast culture 
and the music. Yes, which is very specific to that region yes, too, yes. especially in the and, day. And at that time, so and this is I moved there in '89, right after the quake. So early '90s, I was in uh, Menlo Park. This is near Stanford. Okay. So, yeah. so not much hip hop going on there, but you had Redwood City, East Palo Alto, and kind of that influence. So I had you know rapper friends, but I was more of the art guy. Like uh, you would meet these are people you would meet at school. Kind of, yeah. yeah basically but hip-hop was very much foreign to me at the time i would only absorb it through listening to far side records dell records on the radio mm-hmm. i guess i at first i liked a lot of uh kind of ear friendly hip-hop you know right. like tribe and diggable planets that kind of thing and then 1993 fall of 93 i moved to cal you know cal berkeley and everything changed because i started meeting people who were actually in the scene yeah so almost immediately you know i became friends with mystic journeyman and grouch and then eventually merce came up from la and that was like the crew that i was always hanging out with and then i met boss one the producer who yes. who, who helped me record my first album oh and really then, and then dell became like one of my first closest mentors because i gave him a drawing and then he was like why don't you come over and translate some japanese uh video game instructions so <laughs> I, yeah so i was so starstruck <laughs> because he was definitely like the most you know prolific guy i was listening to in high school sure yeah i mean you're talking I mean, about now this is 93 I mean, yeah yes, yeah 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 exactly so yeah, it was crazy, man. I, mean, I think I think my 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 brother. I wish my brother George was here. Mm-hmm. He was ninety one. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Exactly. He he was what probably like eighteen. Yeah. Already, and he actually produced the bulk of that album. He told me. Yes. He, yeah. He's not credited for everything, right. but he actually made a lot of that the the music for it. So how would you even meet Missy Journey and these guys? Would you venture to? Sh- obviously, they were doing shows probably around the campus because you're talking about. You, did you go to UC Berkeley or? Yeah, I yeah. went to Cal and I graduated, but it was the scene around Telegraph Avenue because they yes. would come to us, right. you know, selling cassettes, passing out flyers, right. and then there was a magazine, their uh, printing called Unsigned and Hella Broke. Of course. I did a couple of those covers too. Oh, really? Yeah. Dope. I, I, yeah. So it was just a big scene, man. So art was definitely a way for me to kind of like, you know, be introduced to the scene. Right. So I started doing magazine covers. I did a bomb cover too. A bomb magazine. Yeah, I did a cover for that. I did cassette cover. So I did "Don't Talk to Me" tape cover for Grouch. So and I did the first logo for him. The little uh, yeah. character on the yeah. on the keyboard. Yeah, that, that's mine. Yeah. So I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's all with just with the pen marker. Yeah. So basically, my whole style was really cartoony illustration type i didn't really go full-on aerosol even though i was very heavily influenced by graffiti and whatnot but are do you have any is there a japanese film inspiration too as a child was that did that seep into your of course i mean i was the biggest fan of tezuka Uh he's he's basically the um you know inventor of anime and manga right in japan he's basically the walt disney of japanese manga so did you were you putting people onto that, do you think, in in that circle? Um I mean I would definitely mention it, but at that time possibly Akira or something more contemporary oh, yes, was like way, yeah, way more popular, you know. But people would know Astro Boy. That would be like the only thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But what influenced me most about Tizuka was not his like work towards kids, but it was like he did a bunch of work 
geared towards adults. Yeah. So he he did a whole thing about Buddha. He did a, you know he has this thing called Firebird that spans like volumes and volumes, and they go from ancient times to futuristic times, and eventually meet at the present. Like oh. his, his imagination was like so prolific. Yeah. I mean, I am obviously. I mean, uh, as of millions of other people, a giant admirer of, of studio studio. Um, uh, Ghibli and Ghibli, like, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, Miyazaki, he's really good too. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that you know, in uh, in in the Western world or in North America, like we only kind of get the 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 big the giant hits, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But there's there's such a incredibly like deep and rich history there too. That oh, of course, yeah. You know, I mean, which is a whole other kind of conversation. Yeah. I'm more interested in learning about the other the 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 smaller side of that, but that can be like that's a side right. side. Yeah, yeah, but. that's that's a whole other story because if you read like the original works, not the not the animated versions, like Miyazaki works and Otomo works, they're very much like hippied out. They really? definitely came from the counterculture, right? From the very conservative environment. Mm-hmm. You know, they're definitely woke back in the days. You can right. tell. You know what I mean? So it's kind of ironic that they do animation geared toward children but you can definitely tell that they're way left field when it comes yeah. to their imagination yeah and there's certain you know messages of course that you can pick up yeah. i mean very clearly yeah. in the in the film versions and stuff of course um okay so yeah so missy journeyman yeah that that's really like a, a starting point too mm-hmm. so so the outhouse as well yeah, with yeah. the recording kind of center i think of during course. that period of time for them right yeah um what about so what so when is it that you start recording stuff like in, as shingo too do you is that an actualized thing during in that period of time do you yeah when so, is that name right so the fall of 93 was when i moved into the dorms and i was uh surrounded by that environment right uh, you know, ninety three to infinity was on repeat in the dorms, and of course, yeah, that that's just kind of the vibe I was in. You know what I mean? So, and then um, eventually, the dorm environment, you know, got me into rapping and freestyling. Yeah, right. Like it encouraged that. Too. Oh man, oh man. I mean, rest in peace. But you know, flavor in the air. That was like. On, on tables all the time yeah. you would have to spit a verse like there's no getting around it you couldn't <laughs> yes. leave the room if you didn't spit a verse over flavor in your ear right and then those turned into fun battles and you would go back and kind of write some punchlines and so that's kind of what really got me into even uttering a rhyme right. and I was so shy to do it at first and then I was doing that for a while and then I started hanging out with a Japanese DJ crew they call themselves Cool Tempo this is like 94 mm. 95 and then that's kind of how I found my space outside of the East Bay we started doing house parties and clubs in the city um. we, we were working with Zebra Records in, in uh, Lower Haight our, our uh, friend and owner named Israel he really took good care of us. And that's how my DJ got started, A1. In, in oh, SF. wow. So that goes back to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. It really does. So we kind of met before we really started working together. It was like a big scene. And there was another Shingo in the crew, so people started calling me Shingo too. Uh, kind of as a joke at first. Uh-huh. But, you know, I didn't have to 
adopt it as my MC name, except for the fact I really liked the number two growing up already. Yeah. You know, so I kind of use, and then I was working with Boss One, and I respected all these graph writers with names and the numbers, so I really yes. liked that combination. So I basically called myself Shingo Two, and then back in the pre-Google days, I already found out that if I try to search my name with just the regular spelling and the number two, it wouldn't work. So I turned the O into a zero, and yes. the rest is history. Yes, yes, which yeah. has a graph element to it as it well. Does. It does, it does, artistic yeah. element. So stylistically, though, this group was was quite different from what was happening in the East Bay. Was I mean, it was a DJ crew. Yeah, okay. and, and, nobody and you were was, DJing. No, I was definitely the MC uh-huh. of the crew because I was the only one who could really speak English uh-huh. fluently. Right. So we would just put on like DJ Crush instrumentals, and I would just spit a verse, and that was like my way to test. Right. You know, my chops really. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I mean, in in a way, that sort of plays into kind of your career. As a recording artist, you've sort of seemingly, to me, like existed in different kind of places to different scenes or different kinds of folks. You know, like the the yeah. the Bay Area scene from that period of time is is such a specific thing that, oh, of course. that people hold in in very high regard. Oh, I mean, myself course. included. Yeah, I mo- I moved to the West Coast. I'm from the East Coast originally. I moved to the West Coast in '98, '99. Right. Like I got to show you this too. Yeah. So this, I, you know, this didn't come into fruition until year 2000, but this uh-huh. is one of the things that came about. Wow. This is called the Vestax Fader Board. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I can play chords and melodies Dope. and drums. So this came out in 2000, and this was definitely a result of us hanging out with the Q-Birds and the Shortcuts and the, D, you know, D-Styles, just being in that culture, man. Right. I don't whole, think I've seen someone really use this. Yeah, like, yeah well, you'll see it tonight. Yeah. yeah. So. so it's a hybrid of, of, of sorts, too, because you, are you running, you're running... No, there's internal sound, and it's, it's, it's basically dope. a keyboard with faders. Yeah, dope, dope. Yeah, you can cut with it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was just a fun time for me, and we... Every little slice that we we've talked about is like a documentary in and of itself. And oh yeah, yeah, man. There's a deep, deep, deep uh, history. Well, there's a guy that I really remember fondly from that period of time. I haven't seen since then, which is DJ Hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was doing my Culturama thing at the mm-hmm. time with some of my video mm-hmm. compilations, mm-hmm. the Practice Video Magazine was mm-hmm. his oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, Hero that's Matsuo, it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's more than one DJ mm-hmm. Hero in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that was this period of time when you were... Do- now, I like a little like to figure out the lineage of this too, but when Mary Joy, mm-hmm. the, the label Mary Joy Recordings, yeah. was, um, you know, doing... Had this, like, great input during that period of time. Yeah. Now, I know that he, he did some A&Ring, if mm-hmm. I, but I mean... The I, stateside A&Ring he was doing. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. yeah. But you were, you were... You played a pretty pivotal role in this too, yes? Or just as a recording artist? I mean both because uh, I'm so Higo. That's his last name. We, uh-huh. we just call him that. Higo is the owner, and he still runs Mary Joy oh, in okay. Japan. So we met right after like '95 or '6 when I first put out my cassette, and he he's been good friends and a business partner ever since. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, he was such a huge fan of the underground scene. He he started making compilations featuring. The Bay Area guys, and then we branched out to the LA guys. Right, and they're right. all down. 
So, and then even the East Coast guys, right? Sure. And that, that's, that's what led me and Merce to fly out to New York, and we did that song called Day Like. Oh, Like Any Other, yes. Wait, but because Day Like Any Other, because the original song is called Day, Day Like No Other, right? With the, right, from the Sia and Yeshua. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another classic record yeah, of that so, era. So we, we did that really, you know, for fun, but that went, um, came out on the compilation and just stuff like that you know we're just fans of the underground scene yeah and we just kind of helped facilitate it but you were yeah because you were, you were bringing artists to the to the table almost yes or uh, creatively uh, maybe or I mean I wouldn't say I was talking to the artist directly right. but I was just kind of in the mix right, as right. an artist yes you yeah. know what I mean yeah, now I don't. Have, I, I I ran out of the house with some records, but yeah. I, so I don't have the first one, which is a classic because Matt Dew did the of cover. Of course, yeah, definitely legendary. Shout yeah. out to Geology. Yeah, and, but this is the the yeah the yeah yeah second one. This a third third one. one. Yeah, right. Yeah. So in the then the final one, I think in the in the trilogy, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, classic. You're on this one, yes, with. With Dose and Kirby Dominant. And this dude, Doc Maxwell, this was a cat that you worked with during this period of time, too? Yeah, yeah. I've only a, seen his name only on records with people. Oh, okay, yeah. He's a really good friend of mine oh, cool. from the dorm days, and oh, okay. he's a good, good uh, beat maker, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, like, you know, Tags of the Times was, like, a pretty, you know, that, and then, the obviously, the Beyond Real compilation mm-hmm. that came out on Mary Joy. Mm-hmm. These were, like, captured a certain um, sort of... Uh, you know, curatorial thing that you don't really see, that doesn't really exist anymore as far as, like, this sort of genre, in a way. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah. But if it weren't for somebody like yourself, you know, was heavily, <laughs> probably slept on, and people are like, what the heck is this, you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely, like, an album, yeah, like a photo album. It is a photo 2001. album. 2001. Yeah, of course, because, yeah, yeah, even... Comparing the this tags of the times to the first one too, is you can already see the the, the evolution of that. Yeah, of man. That but scene. I'm telling you, man. Like if you recall, you know, 2001 we had 9/11. Yes. Happen, and that actually messed up a lot of hip hop labels. If you recall, of course, they, a lot of distributors use that incident as an excuse to kind of like not pay people. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was very traumatizing for everybody, man. I, and I really think the music kind of suffered because of that too. I think so too. If yeah. you even look, sort of, yeah. aesthetically, how the music changed yeah. post nine eleven, it kind of did. In American hip hop, yeah. at least, yeah. You know? But business wise, too, yeah, sure, it was definitely a pivotal time. Yeah, that yeah. Um, well, especially too, because that little pocket of time from like say nineteen ninety five to mm-hmm. ninety nine, when yeah. that, um, when the under when the West Coast underground, as well as New York and, right. and El- Chicago and elsewhere. Right. Um, were they were it was very much like this there was a there was a very strong independent spirit that wasn't mm-hmm. beholden to distributors i think by by the early 2000s then certain distributors became they sort of took advantage of of, right. of the system in yeah. a way yeah trc land speed and yeah yeah new groove yeah um Yes, on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah, and not to uh, languish in mm-hmm. that, that side because I think mm-hmm. if you look back, there's still some great, there's much great art. Oh, of course. Including of your course. Material. I mean, ours, ours is just like one of many, many, many releases that they were handling. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. even this one, which, I, you know, I, again, I was just running out of the house. This was another joint during this period of time. Okay. Um, 
that you may or may not recall. No, of course I do. Because this is in the band. Yeah, recorded yeah, in the band. Yeah. So what was Terracotta Troop? What, uh, how would you describe that? Oh, that was just the name of a band we had uh, that named. Because, like, for example, right now, like right now, right now, we call the Shingo 2 and the Chihus. And I always like to give credit to the live band that, yeah. that I play with or tour with. I don't really like to just call the group Shingo 2 and right. just not really give credit to the musicians. So this was like the crew that we were running with around that time. We just called ourselves the Terracotta Troop. Um, it's all Bay guys, or they were yeah, all residing. Was, uh, yeah, we had uh, Matt Buckner, who was the bassist, and Jonathan Patterson, the guitarist. Right. And, and just various DJs that came in and out, including Nozawa, and then, yeah, who else was in the group? Yeah, but it was, it's, it's just a loose group, always. Yeah, and, yeah, this was like, kind of like, heavier, crunchier, sort of darker, yeah, and I was, dubbier. Yeah, and I was kind of making the, you know, beats. Vector Omega has always been my alias for making beats. Oh, yes. Yeah, so You did something on For Real. Yeah. Well, Merce? What's For Real? Oh, Merce? Yeah. Oh, maybe I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do remember now. I think uh, Merce might have taken a beat from me. Yeah. So so when did the production, Where you do, did that kind of start for you at the same time? Yes, so my fascination with recording, you know, started right away, really. Um, and then, did you record your first tape? You recorded it yourself, or, or with Boss One, of course. Well, before I did the cassette with Boss One, yeah, we started dabbling with the four-track uh, tape recorders. Yeah. Obviously, heavily influenced by Mystic Journeyman, and then we would just record any old instrumental and start recording. Oh, you take an instrumental? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then I got my first Akai drum machine. I forgot the model of it, but you couldn't really sample, and I was playing with that. And then I think one of my Japanese friends had a Kurzweil sampler. Uh huh. And then so I actually uh, stopped going to school for a semester, saved money, and uh, went back to school, and then I bought a sampler. That was called a Kurzweil K2VX. Mm. It's like the K2000 series, basically. Yeah. And then you could sample in like 35 seconds, which is a lot longer than an SP or of course. ASR. You know what I mean? Right. So that's that's how I started making my own beats. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, because I mean, obviously by the time... So when do you leave the Bay? It's like, uh, you're, you don't like still yeah, I didn't have really a pl- spot there, right? Like, no, no, no. But I, yeah, I never left the Bay up until like 2008. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, you were there for, like, a good... Good 20 years. Yeah. 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 And then I relocated to L.A. for a minute, and that's when I was coming to New York and going to Europe and all that, so I was hardly there, even though I did cultivate some relationships there. Um, And then I moved to Hawaii, like, four years ago. Right, right. So, the first... um, I mean, this is is another... This is kind of a bridge, essentially, to what, like, what you're you're sort of doing right now. Mm -hmm. So, this... This uh, so I brought this compilation, mm-hmm. Hideout Productions first mm-hmm. collection. So, um, which obviously is a very well known now mm-hmm. label imprint, mm-hmm. um, the home of of Nuja B's uh, yeah. recordings. Mm-hmm. Now, when I you know I ha- I released many many projects that only came out in Japan through my various labels too, and for a period of time I was I, I my label was coming out through hand cuts as well, which did oh, this okay. compilation. Right. So when I had female fun records was the mm-hmm. label I did. And I remember uh who was the guy? 
they brought me out like at the very earliest stages. I think even very early on, yeah, Kenya. That, that I haven't talked to him since this period of time. You might remember the some of the. I don't know if you ever interacted with the staff of hand, hand cuts back then, but yeah. but when I went to Japan, uh, that my first trip there, which was probably in two thousand and two, is when they. No, 2003, because that's when this mm-hmm. came out, mm-hmm. is when they gave me this. Mm-hmm. And I started, like, I already knew your material, and of course I knew Funky DL, because this is a guy who I've been, who you've been putting records out since the mid-90s as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and then I started, like, kind of falling into the music of this label, which mm-hmm. obviously fit my, even if you look at the compilation I put out on Hand Cuts, it came out the same year. It's, like, geology and... Yeah. and uh, um, people under the stairs and Dulio and, sure. and and so forth. Um, it fully fits into my aesthetic as well. You know my vibe. So, and this is during this kind of period of time, the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And now I only have the, I don't have the cover. I know I saw it on on your dude's bookshelf, but this plays such a big role into it too. So yep. lovesick. Yeah. So I love to figure out a way how how this whole thing kind of starts because this is a, is this the the very first. Uh, record you guys did together? Yes, it is. Yeah. So obviously it's a it's a big record now, you know, from a very um, yeah. Looking back, yeah, of course. I mean, dude, if you look at man, I, I could probably talk to my friend. He's got two covers. Because <laughs> <laughs> mine is, if you look at my actual vinyl of the original Lovesick, this is the volume one, which uh, I don't know people. Too, That's interesting. My my wax is beat to hell because even back then. This was something that I would drop in sets when I was DJing. It would be played, you know, the instrumental and the acapella on there, like as a yeah. as a working DJ of the time. Um, this uh, was that your dog? No, this is when. So funny enough, so the guy who did the artwork for Tags of Times Three, this guy's Emus, mm-hmm. a very um, original artist. Yeah. He's, and uh, we actually traveled all the way down to Yakushima, wow. where my grandfather's from. This mm. is the southern tip of Japan. And this is when we were just hanging out at a gallery after we got off the boat. And then we met this artist family who kind of invited us. Uh-huh. And we were just hanging out at their, at their uh, like off-grid house. Really? And this is when I was just having a dog in my arms. And it's their dog. Yeah, Emus just took a photo of me, and then he sent it to me later. And then it just turns out that, you know, my first line of the song is love sick, sick like a dog. Mm-hmm. When you say sick as a dog, love sick like a dog, keen on sensitivity. So I was like, oh, hey, um, Emus, can I use a photo? He was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's quite serendipitous. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's Emus right there, A-Cops, Alex Cops. Yes, wow. Yeah. That's an interesting connection to that, yeah, to that era, is, yeah. too. Kurotobi family, that's the family that we met. Wow. <laughs> Has, had that had that song been recorded at that point in time, or when that photo was taken? I don't think so. I don't think so. Interesting. Yeah, because so getting back into yeah. the context of things. Yeah. Uh, uh, June is his name, and June Seba is is actually an alias that he went by. Ah, I see. So that's not even his real last name. But June Seba reverses Nujabes. Yes. Classic hip hop style. Yeah. But anyway, he had uh, contact me via email while I was still living in El Cerrito, I remember. And then I'll, I had no idea who he was or that he owned, you know, a label or he owned a record store. 
yes. uh, called Guinness. Yes, which I've been to. A yeah. beautiful place. Right. You know. Yeah. You got to work your way up the stairs, but yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, I've been to a lot of dirty, mm-hmm. dusty record mm-hmm. stores that are gross and dusty. Yeah. This is like, it's a immaculately cool and like, I don't know. Of course. I was, uh, fell in love with it when I, right. the first time I walked inside. Yeah. So the, basically the idea of it was let's put out a 12 inch together. Uh-huh. There was no discussion of a compilation coming out because this is basically a few years after the sure. fact, right? And then he was almost like anti-CD, really. He, he was just in love with vinyl. Yeah, which I can see. And I mean, this maybe this exists in a certain way because of the label that's associated with it. You know, like yeah. I understand. I mean, Handcuts is a certain kind of yeah. corporate yeah. entity. Yeah. You, you know, know what? I don't really want to get into the political realm. No, of no, it, no, no. We even, don't have to. Trust even, me. Even this was super um, controversial because I think eventually they kind of bought back the rights and and then they start releasing their own CDs. You know? Good, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, trust me, I understand. And that can be that's not necessarily worth even talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but labels it, are labels, and we've all yeah been exactly. That. And talking, you know, going back to distributors and whatnot, but sure. they actually influence a lot of the output. So yeah, it's something that you can't really ignore. No, but I would yeah. think that Hideout would be because I mean, even you know, we were talking about this before too. I mean, with Funky DL. Mm-hmm. Because um, this record, I think, came out before uh, uh, Lovesick, and this the one I'm is don't even try it. Although that's not the first uh, yeah. collaboration between yeah. the two between June and Funky yeah. DL, yeah. they actually amazingly have many. Yeah, they know? do, they do, they do, of course. Which is so funny because sidebar too. I mean, I found out about Funky DL through Stretch Arms, Stretch and Bobito. Oh, they cool. played some nice. Pink Panther or something like 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 in '96 or something like that. And then when I worked, I worked at Sandbox Automatic too here in New York with Edward Wong, and and we would stock um, Funky DL's label, which was called Washington Classics or something, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, shout out to Funky DL because I'm a big fan of his too. Yeah. But I thought his production aesthetic and Nujabi's is is very like minded. Right? I mean, would you say? Yeah, I mean he he's he's a beast on the mic, man. Like, yes. Even at live shows and. And we talked about it even before we started recording, but you know he's just he's just really really organized and very articulate and such a beautiful guy. You know yeah, I mean? so, and, and I would think. Yeah. I mean, the point I think I was trying to make was that I I could see how the kind of producer that mm-hmm. June was was and and Hideout is it's, it's more made for vinyl. It's a, you know made right, for twelve. Right. And yeah. and I'll tell you what, like so when I first collaborated with Nujaves, I was really. Um, ignorant of everything else that he did right honestly i didn't go through his discography or who else he was collaborating with he just we just met up and he gave me a cassette of his beats and we just sat in a van and listened to it and then one of them kind of stood out to me weeks after mm-hmm. and and then uh, only then i contacted him hey can i do a song um over this beat that i like and, right. and this is a story that i keep repeating but then he came back to me like, hey, but Pace Rock from 5Ds already got that one, so you can't have it. But I kind of insisted upon it. Then he was like, well, you want to take it up with him if he hasn't finished it. Then okay. you, can, you, you can have it. And then I called up uh, Pace Rock. And then it might have been over phone messages, but he said yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. But he, he was just cool with it. He was yeah. like, yeah, if you really wanted that bad, go ahead kind of thing. You right, know? Right. And maybe the fact that I had worked with him before when we went to Cincinnati. Yes. And uh, we recorded a song at his crib, and that, that came out 
has a song called Sexual for Elizabeth. Uh, oh, yes, for five yeah. minutes. Yeah. I don't know why, why that title came about, but he just wanted something about, you know, girls and, uh, but kind of in a poetic way. Right. So I kind of dropped a Japanese verse for it, and then a, a Tortoise remix came out on vinyl. And I saw that at Guinness Records, too. Ah. And then I never got, you know, um, breaded for that. So maybe that had something to do with it, but it, it ended up, you know, um, this record came out because of that. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, the kind of, you know, the story behind the story. Yeah, it far, is. Which is, which but, is but dope. But it all be- comes into play. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I mean, in a way, hadn't that happened, then this, what now is this pretty... Um, rather impactful lineage of songs yeah yeah that exactly pe- people and people not just engage with yeah, it but yeah. i mean it affects yeah. people on a whole emotional yeah. uh register that, for sure for sure so bottom line is pace rock is a nice guy he, we even hung out on the bay i remember one time we even opened up for dj crush i think together because oh, we had, we made a trip together in japan so we we're you know hanging out yeah, I mean, and he's part of that. I, I met him through yeah. Dose because Dose yeah. from being from Cincinnati yeah. and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah, he's a, he's in Florida now, and oh. they did a tribute in Japan last month. So they keep it going. Yeah, yeah, we keep in touch. Yeah. So how does the how does the that lineage of the lovesick mm-hmm. song how does that build out? Like, is it you know obviously both you you as an artist and you're traveling a lot during this time. It seems mm-hmm. like too and. and and Nujabes is he's obviously a very productive uh, producer at this period of time too I mean he's just coming into his own really it seems like exactly yes. and I really have to put it out there that even for myself I, I definitely feel that I was still trying to find my voice my flow and everything else was not polished back then I mean we're talking like t- almost 20 years ago right, right but if, if I started rapping seriously in 95 or even attempting to you know, that's only four or five years in the mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And if I didn't have a whole background of rhyming when I was a kid, I was still trying to find my voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just even rhythmically right. getting into it, you know. But Lovesick gave me an opportunity to kind of write in that poetic style. I was probably like, you know, being influenced by Common or I Used to Love Her, that kind of vibe. Right. You know what I mean? So... That was kind of a departure from more of like an aggressive battle rap or trying to, you know, outdo, you know, you know, your competitive, you know, your, your competitive, that, that, that whole vibe of like, right. I'm going to say a crazier rhyme than you, that whole company flow type era, you know what I mean? So it was like a, right. kind of a departure from that. And just trying to write some poetry, right? And the, well, the music yeah. lends itself to that too. Yeah, it does. You know? Yeah, yeah. And what, and what what I dig about about what you've done, sort of as a vocalist over the years, is that you 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 can and have done that style, that harder style that mm-hmm. like was birthed out of that that scene the, yeah. of, of the uh, of the the legends mm-hmm. and and, uh, and doing that those early Mary Joyce records and stuff into now which is a lot more melodic and mm-hmm. um and both i mean if you look at those songs too the evolution of the first lovesick into what is there's five total right six actually there's six. Yeah. Oh wow that's why they call it hexology no oh yeah. amazing yeah. yeah as you can even see how you're evolving too per track in I a way so yeah i mean yeah. you must be pretty are you you must be pretty 
are you astounded by people's engagement with that? Oh, I mean, every day, every day, man. I, I get comments from soldiers, you know, out out fighting in Afghanistan to, you know, Israeli soldiers, really? Palestinian fighters. You know, every. I'm, those are just examples in the sure. battlefield, but those guys hit me up, and of course, every single show, there's going to be somebody that says, "Hey, these songs got me through a rough time," right. or "I lost a friend," or "I lost a family member." So not only the happy right. times, but like the really deep and dark times, people kind of seem to latch on to the vibe. Yeah, and the yeah. story, the lyrics per track, they're they're different. They change. You know, obviously, it almost mm-hmm. becomes. Now, this is just my interpretation, too. <clears throat> it becomes, you know, you're by the by the end of the series, you know, you're mourning almost the loss of 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 this collaborator, of yours mm-hmm. too, you know? Yeah. Whereas the first one is it's almost about like it's like a relationship is a, a relationship yeah, yeah, with a woman, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's much like it's a series a mini series it is know. it is and that's kind of how it came to be so to kind of answer your question yeah, sorry the, the first one was really just an innocent collaboration and then i just kind of wrote a letter to hip-hop essentially yeah. you know i'm just talking about i really want to have a relationship with you and it was heavily influenced by what i was listening to back then like i said common or ac alone or most f right that that kind of vibe just writing uh, to the beat, really. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then, ironically, so 9-11 came around. And that week, I was in Japan. And I was supposed to fly back to um, San Francisco, but my ticket was canceled wow, on yeah. Japan Airlines. And it was a whole chaos. I'm sure. And I couldn't even get it back to like a month later. Oh, wow. And then it was expired by then. It was a whole drama. But anyway, I decided to stay in Japan for that for those months until my Japanese album came out and then Nujiaba said hit me up right after it happened like hey we want to do another song and then it was it was like really a soothing sound in contrast to what I was doing from a Japanese album which is very hard and sample and heavy and rock drums and kind of thing yeah this album called 400 yes dope but, album but um, so that was one that I was building with Hero really he, yes. he, he provided Cosmo, right? he provided like half of the samples and right. then I built it out using the sampler but right. anyway while that was happening he gave me the beat to what became Left Side Part 2 oh. and it was very soothing and then it just you know I was watching the news and very traumatic and really project in the future like oh my god what's going to happen after this like oh of course you know what i mean just knowing for a fact that there's going to be many more wars resulting from that attack so that's when i wanted to write to the music again and kind of write a sequel to this and as i was writing it i was like okay why don't i just make this a sequel yeah to part one and that's why it was called part two were you in tokyo during this time yeah 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 um, but you've traveled all over the country by now, by, all over Japan. Uh-huh. Yes, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, I, I do. You feel like the engagement with people, with the music that you've done with him, as well as your your own. Now, I mean, you're a very prolific mm-hmm. um, recording artist. Mm-hmm. So this is like a. It's like a, you know, people have a certain association with just this material. Oh, of course, yeah. uh, clearly, no. yes. Yeah. Like any kind of it's like guru and premiere or something yeah, like that style yeah, of yeah. like affection. Yeah. But I mean, you have like a pretty vast catalog too of your own stuff, and then many, many other collab- mm-hmm. collaborations too. Um, 
do you see how the 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 what's the reaction in Japan to this material too? Because he's become such a uh, um, beloved like figure after his passing, obviously tragically, right? Like it takes yeah. on a life of its own. It must. Yes? It does, but you know what? Like it's been an interesting uh, development witnessing the generational shifts as oh, well yes and, and maybe or most likely has to do with the fact that it is wrapped in English so the English audience will embrace it more in a way mm-hmm. even if they never grew up with it right so whereas in stateside and everywhere else like in Asia we keep seeing uh, you know a turnover of, yeah, of new audience. people are discovering. Yeah, yeah, like for example, all the shows we did in California, sold out shows, thousand plus. They're very, 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 very young, like teenagers to early twenties. I bet. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying. Because a lot of people that maybe hardcore fans in their twenties, thirties, maybe in their forties, uh, they may not come out to the shows anymore. Sure. Well, yeah, and, that's and like that, a that's fact. Just a, that's right. just the nature of yeah. things, right? So whereas. I, I see maybe the Japanese audience, our music might be really known, but it's really hard to get the younger guys um, to come out to the shows. Oh, interesting. It's been like a trend, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, I mean, that's not, I know that's not the, the question, but that was... That's, no, that's, no, that's, I mean, I'm curious of, about it too. That, that's kind of what's on my mind right now. Sure, well, you're in the midst of this you tour see, too. you see such a big contrast, Right. you know, just kids just coming out, what work and kind of latching on to this story. Yeah. This producer who passed away seven years ago now. Yes, yeah. And, and they really, they're really curious to know the story. Right. And and even though it was something that we started without really planning on doing like a whole series. Yeah. It, just, it was like song by song by song, and it kind of developed into this thing. And then the producer passed away, you know, halfway, and uh, it just kind of creates this effect. Of, of you uh, being part of the story now you know when, yes, when, when they attend right. these tribute shows right, right right but for me you know of course when he passed away I really felt like a heavy um, sense of responsibility that I have to keep doing it you know we would perform sure. these songs regardless but now it's, it's kind of part of a legacy that we kind of have to right now and in, in, in the relationship of yeah. course and the relationship now, this is a guy that you knew on a human level, that you sat yeah. with for long periods of time of and worked stuff out. Yeah. You're, uh, you know, the listener is captivated by the, you know, thematic quality of the music. So their imagination can take them there, which is a beautiful thing. You know, it's, it's a, I listened to those songs, too, very recently. And, I mean, they're, I was starting to well up, you know. Oh, okay. And, um, uh because it's also what's that he also he passed very tragically too Mm -hmm. um but your perspective is so much closer to the to the everyday human experience too what was the guy like i mean there's this is obviously an artist that doesn't have much there's not many interviews with him right and i think by by i understand that he was a he was a private guy probably and most producers are like not really into that anyway but it was also a period of time in technology when it's like pre a lot of stuff a lot of social media that doesn't exist didn't exist yeah in 2001 he he, he definitely missed that whole era (laughs) yeah so it's framed in a certain moment capsule yeah it is definitely encapsulated so as a guy that sat in the studio with them and in all that i mean what was your experience just on a human level with the guy 
Yeah, well, on record, and I'm doing air quotes, okay. I, I try to say that our bond was strongest on record. Yeah. And, and that's how our relationship was. Because, of course, we did spend a lot of time in the studio together, but I really like to think that we challenged each other, mm -hmm. even though we did start, dare I say, on an amateurish level, really not knowing what we were doing. As right. far as like recording quality, and right. we weren't really, you know, editing meticulously. I, I think things were kind of like trial and error. And, and there's sure. actually this one, the only one interview that was that's on print with Nujabes. He, he did an interview with a magazine called Studio Voice, I think. Okay. Yeah. So that's like the only interview that I know of. And then even in that interview, he he talks about, oh, I've only been making beats for a couple of years. Sure. If not, yeah. Or maybe it was three or four, I don't know. But it was right. kind of like me getting into recording, too. It's right. not like we've done it our whole adult lives. No, we no, were no. kind of falling into it. Right. And he was obviously running his record label at the same time, you know, making these beats and yeah. him being basically on the other side right. uh, of the production. So we were definitely both figuring things out right right you know what i'm saying but and there's a certain charm when you listen to the very first one yeah i guess I mean, so you can call it a charm if you want to <laughs> but in in our minds we're referencing all these classic records that came out in the 90s yes you know like all these artists so i think we we're definitely trying to catch up in a way but ironically we kind of found our voice which is you know what you're talking about is that the whole feel of innocence perhaps yeah, you know, and there's yeah. a certain there, that there's a certain quality that you see in his style of production. Yeah, too. I guess so. Yeah, it's simple. Yeah, it's it's loops. Si simple, heavy drums, but it's it's probably and what I would definitely like to give credit to is that he had a vast record collection. Mm. You know, based on um, his uh, him being an owner. Sure. And I think he had a lot of resources, too. Well, if you own a record store, you definitely yeah. get a lot of stuff that comes in there. Too. Exactly. But he was definitely a digger and a collector. So what happened was, of course, we come from the from the perspective of being fans of U.S. hip-hop. But where Nujabes should get credit is that he discovered a lot of samples from avant-garde stuff, right. Japanese jazz, pop, pop, possibly more bossa nova. Then, yes, clearly. Yeah, yes. then, then American uh, producers were hip too. Yeah. So he didn't really discriminate, you know, that yeah, it had yeah. to be like a soul or funk sample. Right. You know, he probably did both. But in terms of his sample source, he, he had a deep relationship with vinyl. Yeah, yeah. well, which is uh, undoubtedly a big um, part of music culture in Japan. Yeah, man. I mean, without yeah. a question. I've yeah. been there, I think, exactly. four times now. Exactly. And I'll, every exactly. time I dig for exactly. records, That's, there's all yeah. the good records yeah. there, too. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, 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 yeah. It, and I, I, I do think it should be said, and I mean this with all respect, too, that while I think he made some brilliant records yeah, and, and stuff that I, I that I am absolutely adore and love, there are yeah. many other um, Japanese producers, too, that are very, very talented that I think... Um, don't break out into the Western world mm -hmm. or North America mm -hmm. that I that I love in in very similar ways mm -hmm. that are in that kind of um, uh, on that canvas that he yeah. shares. Oh, of course. I mean, Groove Man Spot I think is a great example of that. Now, yeah. Oh, I like him. Uh, even he's, back, he's dope. Yeah, yeah. he's dope. He, uh, even back, maybe slightly older, is DJ Celery. Of course, was mm -hmm. like did some great remixes. OC remix. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's good. 
Yeah, I mean, you could probably name many, many more. Of course, too. of course. Who yeah. are other dudes that you think that that might be not even known in North America or in Europe uh, and stuff? Oh, I'm doing an album with Sauce Eighty One. Okay, he's, he's mad talented. Cool, and and the sonically too. He, he's got already got albums out under his belt. He, he's really, really, really good. Because yeah. yeah. I looked even on iTunes, so I was like listening to a bunch of the. the the single collaboration songs that you did, yeah, and each one is seemingly with another Japanese group or producer, of course. Um, but, all, all of which I think were were very good. Great. Sure, sure. But before we get into that, can yes, I get something yes. off my chest, please, man? please, please. Like what you're talking about is so important because you know. Okay, so the la- okay, I'll show you two episodes. One was the last time. I did a show with Nujabes. This was randomly in a city called Okayama. Mm. We 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 happened to be playing at different clubs on the same night. Oh yes. And I I, I did not know until the day right. of. Right. And so they reached out to me. Well, I reached out to him, and they reached out to me like, "Hey, why don't you come perform a couple songs with us?" And I was like, "Sure." So after we finished our set, you know, with with the band, I, I oh, ran, with, it was I, with Terak- I think so. Yeah. And and I ran over to his, you know, tiny club. And then I saw maybe him, Segawa, maybe Uyama too. Mm-hmm. Because that's the crew that he was rolling with, mm-hmm. with a trumpet and the sax. And he refused to do any other show but with them. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. But he was on the decks, strictly vinyl. He oh, would never go off a CD or nothing. Right. And, you know, of course I did my songs. And, and the crowd loved it because it was a surprise guest and whatnot. Yeah. But what impressed me more was just the way he was playing his records, hit after hit after hit after hit. You know, the crowd going wild. Every single song, you know, what, what, whatever he, you know, he was playing with all all the collaborations he done with sure. Apani and yeah. Funky Deal and Substantial Pace Rock. And I was even though I knew these songs, it's like it's different sense when you hear it live and when the producer's playing it oh yes and yeah. i was i was like damn you know i was really impressed right you know what i mean i was really really impressed like wow this guy is a is a pure fan of hip-hop and a pure talent yeah you can tell because even yeah. with the mcs that he somehow yeah. chose to work with yeah you know they're um y- you know underground mcs yeah. you know yeah. for the most part yeah. you know that have that are now a part of this kind of family of artists that yeah. work with them. It's pretty exactly. interesting because if you exactly. if you take them out of context from him, yeah. you know they they all made a lot of records, but the yeah. stuff with him is is very special. I feel. Exactly, yeah. So that was very inspiring and a humbling experience at the same time. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, he, he's got some hits. And then the next episode I want to tell you was this is probably like right before 2010 right before he passed away I'd, I'd gone to his studio maybe like the fall right before that and then he had built out this whole new studio in Kamakura really really beautiful studio we actually filmed it in the video for Lovesick Part 6 Uyama mm-hmm. Remix so you can see the studio there but I could tell that he was definitely in a funk in a music musical standpoint and the reason of that being is that there were, and I'm just going to say this, there's so many copycats mm. because of, of his style. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's good or bad, it's really here or there, but the scene that he created and then the scene that 
was really much endorsed by the stores and whatnot. They they called right. it beautiful melody hip hop and jazz, oh really and, and yeah and jazzy yeah. hip hop. Sure. And, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There were just sleuths of records that kind of copied not only his music but the but the artwork and the, really the, and then the way everything was packaged. Yes, I can see. It was basically a hideout release. Right. But, but yes. But my only diss is strictly from a musical perspective uh-huh. like there's a difference between a hip-hop record you know that comes from the love for vinyl and the knowledge of vinyl as as opposed to people you know who who would take like accomplished pianists or guitarists or what have you and just kind of put them over like a hip-hop beat right, and just right. call it a hip-hop song mm-hmm. and and there's a huge difference in my perspective for the average listener, they might sound similar. They might sound same. I, who knows? But to me, there's a huge difference, and and, and we kind of talked about that. Really? Yeah. And then he was he was definitely not into it. Lamenting. Yeah, he was definitely lamenting the fact, and possibly he was at, at a loss on how he could top what he had done. Of, Evolve into something. Yeah. So he, and as, as people may know, he was definitely trying to do more like house stuff and. Right do more fast paced stuff and he was definitely experimenting but he was definitely uh, at a loss man yeah interesting well you know when you kind of set a certain standard yeah and then <laughs> you bar. see the people that you yeah. inspire yeah like like look obviously people yeah. always go to Dilla as an example because right. they because they uh, not only have some similar aesthetics yeah. but they also have passed away yeah. I, I yeah. think of a guy like Dame Funk, for example, yeah. who has um, a very particular sound, a modern funk, a very subgenre that then mm-hmm. has birthed a bunch mm-hmm. of under studies, mm-hmm. and that and I and I know him well, so I know how frustrated he's gotten. Look at, I mean, and you go 15 years back, how many people sounded like Premier? You know, oh like, yeah, of course. You know, or, yeah, Marley Marl. Or, yeah, and go back to Marley. Yeah. Yes, I mean, um, so. I could yeah. Rock, yeah 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 I could see for him too where now these are American these are North American examples so right. in a community like Japan that industry is much smaller too in a way I would think yeah I mean but it also the Japanese aesthetic of how things look and touch and yes. feel you know it was right. really copied to the T right now and I want to say this really quick too because this dude Siu is that the Shu, art? yeah Shu? dope artist and yeah. the aesthetic that's followed all those oh, yeah. hideout releases is, oh, yeah. is, is beautiful so I introduced him for the cover of Lovesick Part 2 really because uh, his uh, younger sister had contacted me like hey there's a I have an older brother who's in a graph. He's a fan of yours, and he recently got caught tagging. And he's he needs some help, some so, guidance. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, "Yo, okay, why don't we meet up?" And then I had him do the cover of part two. Oh. You know, and then the rest is history. You know, I I hooked him up with them, and New Job has kept giving him work. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. It fits obviously it visually fixed it fits the musical aesthetic yeah. in a way. Yeah, and, and yeah. you can tell because how people. I think it. Affects people on a subconscious level. Yeah, and he's a trip too. Man. Is he? Yeah, I still What's he talk like? to him. He he's an introvert. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, heavy, if you look at his, his... heavy introvert. Right. So and New Jobis was too. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I just keep coming across <laughs> with all kinds. <laughs> they of, come to you. Man. Oh yeah, they do come to me. I'm telling you, they do come to me. And well, I will yeah. say this too. I mean, you are kind of an anomaly too, as far as uh, as far as a vocalist. Mm-hmm. 
um, that you know, and maybe this plays into the fact that you moved around a little bit as a yeah, kid. Yeah. But that there aren't any there. I can't think of an example, and I and I, if I'm missing someone, then I and I apologize. Mm-hmm. That can do that can that's a vocalist in Japanese and in English that has done as far as hip hop traditional yeah. hip hop goes yeah. on this to this extent. You know. Yeah, maybe. Of course, there are a lot of bilingual rappers out there now, but. Yes, I, I, I take pride in the fact that when I do Japanese, I do strictly Japanese, and yeah. and and I want to take it to a level where no one else has in that regard. So. It's not just about I'm rhyming in Japanese. You know, I want to really take it there. Right, inspired by the works of West Coast underground hip hop, really. Right, you know? right. But anyway, so I want to finish my thought. Okay, which is going Sorry. back to that conversation when New Jarvis was definitely in a funk, man. On a personal level, on a musical level, I was like, "Yo, you have a good studio." why don't just bring in musicians and who cares about putting records out just have jam sessions and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a lot of things will come out of it and of course he was working with Uyama and them you know at that point that's a big collaborator of his yes yes and so Uyama Hiroto you know he's an awesome musician he he basically he and I basically finished Lovesick 4, 5, and 6 right and and we still uh, collaborate to this day awesome guy but I don't know. Maybe label, business side, politics has something to do with that. But you know, he was definitely closed in at that time, mm-hmm. and I, I definitely encouraged him. Yo, just, just keep jamming. Yeah, you know, and uh, that was really the last time we spoke. Oh wow, yeah. damn! Because that now remains never to be seen. Like you know, yeah. like, like, and I think it's an important point to make mm-hmm. too, because certain producers that are very much introverted, right? Um, Right. You right. know, reclusive. Right. You can only this goes for writing, writing yeah. too, uh, or whatever. You I can so. only spend so much time alone. Yeah. Your frame of reference starts to just yeah. kind of like lock so. into a. Mode. And, and I think a lot of people did look up to him, mm-hmm. but possibly too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because in Japan, it's like everything is built up on seniority and hierarchy to yeah. this day. Yeah. So, you know what I mean. Right. I think it would have been different if we were in the states, and who, sure. you could just jam. Record. Yeah, yeah, which is a little more of yeah. open. Yeah, and also another thing I want to say is, you know, based on that, I feel like how our tribute shows have evolved over the years with starting with me and A One to incorporating a live band aspect mm-hmm. of it, and and that's what breathes breathes in a whole new dimension of life to these shows right i could think i would think so yeah and the audience is right up there with us and that's that's what i appreciate the most right these new kids that come in to these recordings they probably just heard it on youtube or mpq somewhere right but we kind of hit them with a the original tune but right. with a whole uh layer of instrumentation and mm-hmm. soloing and they appreciate it how does that process come to you as far as like creating the live show or building out the live show like the set oh it's very very organic so it's just a matter of me you know whether I was in LA or now I'm in Hawaii I organically started meeting people and and half the time or most of the time they already know the music so it it really helps that when people just kind of buy into it and we all treat each other equally you know and and it's a great vibe Yeah. yeah and these guys are mad talented too so yeah mad talented so, and they you're can, doing do you do can, all of your songs I mean you'll see today, yeah, yeah, but yeah. mostly yeah we'll, we'll definitely yeah 
cool. do most of the songs. So then where does that leave you? Like as far as, I mean, this is obviously, it's a big part of what you do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and the thing is, when I even started the conversation with you too, I mean, my frame of reference is, is from the Bay Area, the underground Bay Area, which mm-hmm. is a long time ago. E22, that was mm-hmm. your shit too, right? Yeah, yeah. That was your label? Yeah, that's still my website. <laughs> is it? No. Website no, design, I haven't changed since 98 probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, you must be doing other, planning other things too, right? Do you have um, another so- album? So, is there a Shingo 2 album, another solo thing coming? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's just a constant thing. Yeah. Just, so, so, all the features you mentioned yeah. and, and the f- fact that I do this and that, it's just a constant thing. Right. And I'm always working on albums, I'm always working on features, I'm always working on projects. And that's just been my MO for the last 20 years is that I don't plan anything. Right. So I've just been blissfully, you know, oblivious of what what's in store for me, uh-huh. and that's just been my style. I'm 42 now. I've been doing it for over 20 years, and it just feels like I did 20 laps uh-huh. in, on the track, and I yeah. really don't care who I pass up or who passes me up. That's just been my thing. I just stay in my own lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and when you occasionally maybe look in the rearview mirror, you see that like. You have a very specific. Mm-hmm. You you have a trajectory as an artist too. That's that's kind of its own thing. It's incomparable to some because of the fact that you can exist in different ways to different people. Yeah, I, yeah. That's my interpretation. No, I mean that's definitely a compliment. But my, you're you're talking to me as a person right now. But Shingo Two for me is almost like an alter ego it's, it's an alias sure I, I have a huge buffer between what the rapper does and who I am as a human right, being right, right. and me as a human being I'm more fascinated by creating things um, I right. like tinkering things fixing things and helping people that's who, I'm, who I am are you doing stuff beyond music like what are you doing beyond music right like now? in Hawaii we are part of a group called Pow Wow it's a mural festival that happens every year so I've been doing music mentoring there for the last several oh, cool. years Dope. with my partner Nick Kalakini we have workshops in japan and hawaii every year cool that's all on a volunteer basis but we meet amazing talent all the time in high school age they're just crazy talented cool make you cry yeah just by listening to them so and i do a lot of arts and crafty things yeah i'll show you this is totally off the topic here but no no it's all on topic to me I started making these things like last year all of a sudden. I make wow. it out of resin. They're called wavy chakras. I even make the surfer guy inside too. Wow. So now, now I'm, it's okay, it's okay. Now I'm busy it's not glass. making, it's resin, yeah. so it's a plastic. Yeah. But I polish it, everything is handcrafted. Do you surf? I do. Yeah, I would think if you moved to Hawaii, <laughs> that would probably Yeah, so that was be. my inspiration. And right. I always wanted to make something out of a wave and a chakra, so I just did it. It's dope. So I've made hundreds of these already. Oh, really? By hand. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. So you have a shop at home or something, or like we, a workshop? I have a shop that I work um, that I put these things in right down the street from our studio in Kakako. Kakako is where it's happening right now. Really, really. All the murals, people come um, take tours. Oh, there's Segway tours zipping around. It's kind of insane. It's like a zoo. And that's where you're yeah. centered. That we have a studio right inside the warehouse. That's where all the rehearsals and recording take place. That's amazing. We jam all the time. Yeah. So I'm in a good place right now. Yeah. For real. It sounds like it. And Hawaii is just very rich in history. Yeah. I'm learning every single day. Don't. Talking to, you know, native Hawaiians and 
just learning the history of it all. And it's kind of interesting because the first real album I put out in the Bay is called Pearl Harbor. Yes, I remember. Of, it was kind of based on this attack. But not only the war aspect, but I started talking about internment and then the, the role of Asian Americans in, 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 in America and how their rights were violated. And so that was kind of like my first initial statement even before I put out my first albums. So, you know, now, yeah, now, I'm in, now I'm in Hawaii and I'm relearning history over there. Right. So. That's so dope. Dude. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm unfortunately never been, but I've been. Oh, you have to come. I know, no. I'll give you the whole tour. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. And in, in Japan, on one tour that I did, we had Okinawan food, which is, I guess, in, informed from Hawaiian culture, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, there's a the, huge tie there. What's the pancake, the thing on the hot plate that's like... Um, Okonomiyaki? Yeah, I think that's what... Yeah, yeah. it's very popular. Yeah, Okonomi, I don't think is... Am I uh, Okinawan? It's not Okinawan's okay. more like uh, Goya. Yeah, it's a bitter melon. They say champuru, like samurai champuru. Uh-huh. Champuru is basically like a mix of things. Right. Yeah. And and they do like like pig on a spit type of thing. I remember. Yeah, they I do a lot of uh, pork. Yeah, over yes. there. Yeah, I get some pig ears or something like that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's dope, dude. I mean. It's um, it's great to kind of get a better picture mm-hmm. of what you're doing now in the yeah. context of where it started too. You of know, course. a lot has happened. It seems. Yeah, like. a lot um, has. I mean, I almost moved to New York, but I did yeah. 180 and went to Hawaii. Yeah, that's two yeah, worlds and, apart, and, and that's just strictly based off living situations. You know, I almost rented a place here but it didn't yeah. happen so I went yeah. to Hawaii and I'm sure your artistic input would would be completely informed in a different way I think that. so too yeah. Uh, yeah I think so too it's very interesting well I dig it man I dig your uh, where you're going with this live show mm-hmm. and with the records that you've done and I appreciate your time of course and all the work in the years that you put in so of course um, and just taking the time to let me record this conversation hey it's all good man yeah. you know just another day <laughs> cool thank you man appreciate yeah. it peace Yo, shout out to Shingo too for the conversation. Shouts to y'all for listening so much. Thank you from me to you, the Houseless Podcast. My name is Peter Agostin. Every episode is edited and engineered by CJ Stewart out in California. Rest in peace to Nujibis. Rest in peace to Craig Mack. Shout out to Boss One, Kirby Dominant, Billy Jam, all guys that sort of like inadvertently played a role in this particular conversation. You know, uh, after I recorded this, we went out for Indian food in Jackson Heights, Shingo, myself, and his DJ, and then we, uh, then I met them, I went to the show that night at Rough Trade in New York, it was totally sold out, oversold out, it was really impressive, completely packed house, me and Kirby went, and, um, you know, there's something very touching for me For a guy that's kind of been in this for, you know, now 20 years and seeing the waves of of, uh, the fans, I guess, or or, or people that come out and support, especially at the shows, because it's a very quantifiable thing because you see the people in the room and you see how full it is or how not full it is. You know, the only two people I knew in the room was Kirby and, and Shingo on stage. I happen to know the bartender that worked there because he used to work at the knitting factory. But, you know, it is what it is. He didn't comp us anything, so I'm not really going to give him any kind of props or anything like that for what it's worth. He should have, but it is what it is. Much respect, you know, keep moving on. And anyway, so 
you know, I, I was really like to see Shingo up there doing joints to completely full house, reciting lyrics back to him, knowing like kind of the scene he came out of, he was birthed out of, you know, and how much that has changed. It's third, fourth wave uh, audience now. To me, and you know, you only see that, you know, not a, not that many artists from that period of time, that scene, in a live setting that are still contemporary, putting out new music, performing new music, can do that i've seen it i see it with people under the stairs the guys i uh, you know my, my homies i've worked with for a long time and here and there but i'm talking about from that particular era of hip-hop seeing them up there rocking and like with the band and the dj in a very classic sense performance wise i found it to be very heartwarming and i was i was happy as hell to see that go down and see actually people in the crowd stoked and happy and bobbing their head like i'm like that you can still get there with a with a particular sound sonically, you know. So I know that's kind of a vague thing to say, but for what it's worth, I really like seeing that. And I'm very appreciative that we had the opportunity to do this. They, these guys basically flew to Hawaii like immediately thereafter and flew in the night, that previous night. So I had a very small window of time to do it to give you some context. And uh, we made it happen for the Houseless Podcast. So big up, big up, big up. I guess I'm going to end this show with the part two of the lovesick hexology. You know, I could have picked a lot of different joints. I love Shingo's uh, album 400, which he did. And uh, when I was talking to Boss One, we were talking about the early, original, older material as well. But because I took the joints off of the CD I got when I was in Japan at, at Hand Cuts... It's hilarious. I spilled water on it, too, on the way back from the interview. But but this was from that original, like, compilation from Hideout. So all the way from back then. Came out in 2002 or three, And it plays into the whole vibe and, and all that. So I'm going to jump into this. This is Lovesick 2. Don't forget to subscribe, y'all. Shout out. Peace to y'all. Peace to Shingo, too. Let's keep it going, y'all. Let's go. Yeah, my destiny to grow sunshine, silver side.